5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. Yes, we are back here with you on The Punch Out 12-11-2020. We got plenty of things for you here, as we always do on the show. Uh, all sorts of things from all around the world, quite frankly. You know, we've got a oil grab happening in, well, Venezuela slash Guyana, perpetrated by elites in the United Kingdom. We've got a secret bailout, a secret bank bailout to the tune of $2.5 trillion by the Federal Reserve to some of Wall Street's biggest banks. But before we get to either of those issues, we are going to talk about about Joe Biden backing the blue in Georgia and why it doesn't make any statistical sense. Joe Biden met with a group of civil rights leaders this week, and that has already caused a bit of controversy, you might say, in the meeting. Unprompted now, unprompted, Biden told civil rights leaders not to mention, quote unquote, police reform in any serious way before the Georgia runoff elections, because in his words, that's how the Republicans, quote, beat the living hell out of us across the country, end quote. Now, one big problem for Joe here, though. BLM is more popular than he is in Georgia. According to the CNN exit poll, 53% of Georgia voters had a favorable view of Black Lives Matter, including 21% of Trump voters. 53% of Georgia voters had a favorable view of Black Lives Matter. Joe Biden only won 49% of the votes in the state of Georgia, so less popular than BLM. Now, you also have to consider that this is an exit poll in an election when a huge number of Democrats voted by mail. So you have to assume that a wider survey, including a swath of those voters, would push that favorable number even higher. Here's another way of looking at it. Only 11% of voters said the most important issue for them was, quote unquote, crime and safety. 22% said that racial inequality was the most important issue for them. Also worth noting here... When considering that last point, that Biden won voters who did not vote in 2016 by four percentage points. Black voters are, of course, disproportionately represented in the Democratic-leaning non-voter universe. So you can make a much stronger case that Biden's own win in Georgia was successful because of, not in spite of, the anti-racist wave sweeping the nation. The biggest issue for Democrats in Georgia is that Biden is already betraying any promise he held out to those who maybe voted because of racial inequality in a way very painful to many black rural Georgian specifically. That's nominating Tom Vilsack as the AG secretary. As Derek Johnson, head of the NAACP, told Biden on the call, this would be taken poorly in heavily black areas of southwest Georgia, especially. Vilsack fired one of their heroes, Shirley Sherrod, from the USDA after a doctored video by a white supremacist surfaced, creating a fake scandal. Vilsack didn't even really try to check, just taking the word of a white supremacist over a longtime civil rights leader. And these counties were not incidental to Biden's successes. While many are numerically small, a number of them increased their votes, adding to the overall total in the election won by roughly 12,000 votes. In all, all but two, actually, excuse me, they're all but two of Georgia's majority black counties, Democrats gained votes as well. Either way, Biden cavalierly appointing someone with a past history of facilitating racist practices at the same agency could undoubtedly and justifiably keep some people at home on Election Day. Not because of Black Lives Matter, but because of the old friend of segregationist, Joe Biden. <laughs> Joe Biden. 
Despite the fact that 34% of people in the United States can't or barely meet basic expenses week to week, Congress still can't agree on any sort of relief. Now, to add insult to injury, we learned through an obscure regulatory filing that throughout much of the summer and into the fall, and quite frankly, probably now, the Federal Reserve has funneled at least $2.5 trillion to Wall Street without telling anyone. What is even wilder is this is connected to a $9 trillion bailout from the fall of 2019 uh, up until about March 2020 that also was essentially secret. Now, shout out to Wall Street on Parade. Go to wallstreetonparade.com. Check out their work. That's the research that lies behind this great stuff. So to understand this, we have to start with what the money's for. That money was pumped into something called the repo market. Now, no explanation has been given why they did this, but ostensibly it was to keep the repo market from collapsing. Now, a repo is basically a short-term loan. Loan, short-term loan. One party sells a security to another, but agrees to repurchase it at a later date at a higher price. And usually they're overnight, but they can actually be a little bit longer sometimes than overnight. Nevertheless, financial companies with a lot of cash on hand, like money market funds, well, you know, and money market funds, by the way, if you're not sure, think like Fidelity Investments and uh, some of these other companies that you have un doubtedly heard of here. Uh, Vanguard is another one, but also a lot of big banks. They love repos because... It's a way for them basically to make money on essentially idle cash that's not earning any interest. Now, securities-heavy companies, think like hedge funds, they love it because they have less cash on hand, and this way they can easily and quickly turn their non-cash holdings into cash for their day-to-day -day trades. Now, the repo market sits at a crucial nexus in the financial system, and not just because there's billions of dollars coursing through it, but most of the major players are exposed, the huge banks, the large institutional investors, which are the largest shareholders in many big corporations, hedge funds, and so on. So if something goes wrong here, the ripple effects hit the whole economy. And something certainly appears to have gone wrong in September 2019. Now, of course, this has never been explained by the Fed. But from September to March of 2020, as we mentioned earlier, they pumped $9 trillion. $9 trillion into the repo market. And that's despite not explaining anything. Uh, but the Fed did conduct some minimal transparency here. And until early July this year, they reported on some of this on a daily basis. They then started just listing zeros there in early July. Now, that, of course, gave the impression that they were no longer making the loans. But now we learn in a required fourth quarter filing that the Fed said in, uh, that they had actually spent, as of September of this year, $2.5 trillion in the repo market. The implication here is that as people suffered all across the country this summer during the crisis, they were secretly pumping billions of dollars to Wall Street firms to prop up what seems to be a totally failing business model. I mean, think about it like this. If the repo market required $11 trillion in one year to stay afloat, is it even worth saving? Or isn't it just a massive risk to our economy that should be eliminated or at least drastically restructured so it can't take us all down with it? $11 trillion in one year. And looking at it in that light, think about how it reflects our priorities. $2.5 trillion secretly to Wall Street? Well, I'll just give you something here. It would only cost about $500 billion, just a bit more, to pay all the rent of every tenant in the United States. The states who are worried about big tax shortfalls worried about a $434 billion shortfall. That could cost millions of jobs. Still, literally, those two things put together cost trillions of dollars less than a secret bank bailout. Yet Congress and the White House are forcing people to fight to survive off Wall Street's crumbs. Well, you might not believe it, but Her Majesty's government seems to be supporting Venezuela's fake president Juan Guaido, at least partially in a bid to loot the country's oil resources. 
Okay, well, maybe you aren't that surprised at that. Now, as we've explained to you several times this week, all the evidence points to Guaido having no real influence in the country, and his position is so weak that the most prominent member of the opposition came out this week asking the U.S. and European nations to end the charade of pretending he's even the president of the country. Might not be that easy for them, though. There's a lot of imperialist interests and entanglements at stake. As Declassified UK has revealed this week, key interests in the UK's ruling elite have a lot riding on Maduro's demise and the Guaido camp's ascension. Certainly in this case, oil. To make a long story short here, there's a dispute between Venezuela and Guyana over offshore oil reserves. The UK backs Guyana and just coincidentally, I'm sure, a major conservative party donor and a director of the Bank of England are tied to potentially big oil contracts pending the dropping of the dispute by Venezuela. We know from a recorded phone call that Guaido's representative in the UK told other members of his team they could only get UK support and that the UK government told them this if they agreed to drop the claim. Update, UK government still supporting Guaido. Clearly then, Boris Johnson is at least partially holding on to Guaido's fake claims because a generous friend to the Conservative Party stands to gain, or, I don't know, maybe I'm just being too cynical. Further, it sheds some light on the Bank of England's attempts to steal billions of dollars of Venezuelan gold held in their vaults to know that one of their directors stood to directly financially benefit from the crippling of Venezuela's legitimate government. Perhaps not all that surprising that imperialists are looking to exploit developing nations for oil, but quite the statement about Guaido and his so-called patriots that they're willing to sell their country for parts. And that's going to do it for us here today in the Punch-Out. just want to give a shout-out to all of our supporters in Breakthrough News. We are doing all sorts of great things. When we come back in January, I'm telling you, we're going to have new shows, new content, all sorts of fantastic stuff. We're doing some bells and whistles. We're all over the country. We're all over the world. Uh, you know, we're being COVID-19 appropriate, so some of us are quarantining. We're doing more work remotely here in December. But nevertheless, we're coming back out come strong, coming back out swinging. So keep checking us out at BT Newsroom across all your platforms. Happy to be with you here on the Punch-Out, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard. Time here every day, Monday through Friday.